We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You're listening to Buzz Beat Radio, your premier Charlotte Hornets show. All right, welcome in, Buzz Beat listeners, Queen TV Hoops readers. Uh, this is episode 51 of Buzz Beat Radio, and we have got a show uh, packed full of controversy, I would, I would probably say today. As you can imagine, most of the show will be talking about the Kimba Walker Report from Adrian Wojnarowski, better known as Woj, yesterday, uh, pretty much putting out there that the Hornets are um, put Kimball Walk on the market. I, I don't want to say shopping. That, that's not the right terminology, but they have had discussions. They're putting Kimball Walker into trade discussions. So that will take up the majority of our show. Don't forget, we are a member, a proud member of the Almighty Baller Radio Network and also good friends with our friends over at SportsChannel8.com. Uh, they cover all sports in North Carolina, so make sure you give them a follow on Twitter at SportsChannel8, and then check them out uh, at SportsChannel8.com. A lot of ACC basketball coverage going on over there right now. So we're going to roll through a few games here today. Oklahoma City, which was last Saturday, if I'm not mistaken, uh, in Charlotte. Uh, the Detroit MLK Day game, uh, which brought the Charlotte a win. And then probably the best offensive performance, maybe the second best offensive performance of the season for Charlotte. A great total team performance as well in their win against Washington uh, in their last game. Uh, we're recording this on a Saturday morning, so uh, Charlotte actually hosts Miami tonight in another really big game. Um, so that's what we have on our show today. We're going to go as quickly through these first three games that we're going to recap as possible. And trust me when I say the majority of our show definitely be geared towards the Kimball Walker uh, trade, garbage, news, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> so we're going to dig into that deep. Um, Richie, what is going on over there? We haven't done this in two weeks now, and I feel like I'm a rookie again. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's been a while since we've done this, and then uh, we had a buzzcast the other day with the uh, Washington game, and, and you weren't on that. So it feels like I haven't seen you or talked to you in a while. So uh, it's definitely good to get back into this, and episode 51 should be a good one. Good, yeah. I, I completely forgot to ask. It, it seemed like the buzzcast went well, though. You guys picked a great game to do it. 
Uh, I'm sorry I couldn't be there. Actually, uh, my real job called. Um, worked at the University of the Crosstown Rivalry uh, with Virginia Commonwealth VCU. That game was Wednesday night downtown at VCU. Uh, so I had to be there to attend. And Richmond, shockingly, uh, won at VCU, which most people don't have any clue about either one of those teams. And I don't blame you at all. But uh, a big, big upset there. So I, I just want to give my Spiders a little shout out. Big win downtown on Wednesday night. BG, uh, let's talk real college basketball for a second. What's happening in ACC country? How are you? Man, things are good. Uh, ACC play is, is crazy. I'll be at the, the Duke Pitt game later today, catch Marvin Bagley and Wendell Carter live. Uh, Duke favored by 27 and a half points in that game. So wow. we'll see if they can. It's a big hook. We'll see if they cover that one. But uh, no, things are good. Um, been in Chapel Hill and Durham a lot. Uh, for covering UNC and Duke for ACC Sports and Sports Channel 8. But no, things are good. and uh, ACC, not quite as dominant as it was a season ago, but still uh, pretty pretty ferocious. Uh, and your Virginia Cavaliers, man, they look uh, they, they look ridic- they're ridiculous right now. They're, whatever, they only lost one game this year to a really good West Virginia team. So um, I'm excited because two Saturdays from now, they play in Durham against Duke. And uh, that'll be that'll be a fun one. That will be an awesome game, uh, BG. And, and yeah, Virginia. You know they're going to be good defensively every year. The pack line defense. You're not going to get to the rim. If you do, you're probably going to get uh, your shot contested by a few guys, and they might make life difficult on that end. But offensively, I think it's where people have really been surprised. I mean, Kyle Guy taking a step. DeAndre Hunter. Um, you know, I told people before the season, I said, watch this game. He's got an NBA body. All you got to do is look yeah, at him and say he's got an NBA body. But yeah. uh, I, I, Virginia would be lucky to keep that kid for two years. I mean, he is a, he's a player on the next level, no, no doubt. Yeah. But it's been fun to watch. So, all right, well, let's get into some Hornets basketball here. Let's start with the Oklahoma City game last Saturday night. I would just go ahead and say I, I watched the highlights of this game. I was in Boston last weekend, did not get a chance to actually sit down and watch the replay of this game. Um, but <laughs> Brian said it perfectly before we got on here. He said, imagine every bad Hornets loss this season. That's, it was exactly like all of those. So there's not a whole lot to talk about here. I did look up a few stats I found interesting, and then I'm going to throw it to you guys. Number one, it was a 101-91 Hornets loss at home. Um, 95.7 offensive rating for Charlotte. That's their seventh worst of the season in this game. OKC has been a great defensive team all year, so not super surprising. Probably the most surprising thing, Dwight Howard, 13.9 usage percentage in that game. That's his lowest mark of the season. So uh, Stephen Adams, one of the strongest players in the league, really making life difficult on Howard in this game. He was never able to establish anything around the basket. And when he's not able to do that and he's not able to get his post touches, which he really didn't in that game, he becomes disengaged. And I, I'm assuming, again, I didn't get to sit down and watch this game, but I'm assuming uh, that's pretty much what we saw. Am I accurate in that assumption, guys? Yes, that's that's the one note that I have up here is up top, the Steven Adams versus Dwight Howard matchup. Um, you know, OKC is an isolation-heavy team, but when they do involve Adams in those pick-and-rolls, it, it can be effective against certain matchups. And like, like we just talked about prior to recording this, this was um, very similar to a lot of the Hornets' losses in terms of the negatives. And pick-and-roll defense, especially early on, uh, was an issue because Adams is just so big. He's such a scrappy player. He sets hard screens. So he he will eliminate the ball handler, Kimba, in this, in this case, on a lot of his screens that he sets. And so when Dwight sags, again, that creates a lot of room. So this is something that we've talked about a lot on 
buzz beat and it happened again um, again against OKC because Steven Adams just is a scrappy player hard-nosed player and um, in addition to, to Steven Adams setting these hard screens he also did a very good job on the offensive boards OKC had 19 offensive rebounds which is seven above their average and Adams had seven offensive rebounds, which is two above his average. So uh, those second chance points that OKC had uh, definitely were in their favor, twenty to six over us. So again, when when things aren't going our way, the little things like that just kill us. But that that matchup to me, especially early on, uh, you could tell that it just wasn't a good one for us. Yeah, I mean, what a what a pathetic offensive performance. Charlotte scores thirty two points in the second half. You know. Kind of a kind of a joke, um, but yeah. Second half, thirty-two points. Charlotte scores less than uh, Charlotte scores sixty-six points per one hundred possessions in the second half. Twelve of forty-four shooting, twenty-seven percent. Four of fourteen on threes. Kemba only one of nine in the second half. Uh, probably pressing a little bit too much, having to just shoot over the top of uh you know okc loading up on him again that sort of falls in line with the recipe of every bad hornets game you've seen this season okc rebounds 38 percent of its misses with frank kaminsky on the floor he was bad on the glass um and then one other thing starters were not great in this game either uh silas played him 27 minutes but kemba batum mkg who had a great game the first time against OKC and was not so hot uh, earlier this week against the Thunder. But uh, Marvin and Dwight Howard, they scored just 77 points for 100 possessions in the 27 minutes they played together, just 5 of 17 on three-point attempts. I did think, uh, so this was interesting, no, uh, no minutes for J.O.B. in this game, if I remember correctly. And some decent run for Kemba, Nick Batum, Jeremy Lamb, uh, Trevion Graham and Frank Kaminsky at the five. I mean, obviously they got killed on the glass, but that lineup had some success against Utah and Oklahoma City, scoring uh, above 1.75 points or 1.7 points per possession and uh, 1.75 points per possession in limited minutes against uh, Oklahoma City. And one, one sort of last note, I've, I've seen, I've caught several Oklahoma City games recently. Billy Donovan, I mean, Richie, this might, Rich, Rich, Billy Donovan might be your boy coming from Florida. What is he doing playing lineups that don't have any, like they Westbrook, Carmelo, Paul George, and Steven Adams are all on the bench at the same time. Can, can you, def, like, can anyone defend that? I, I feel like if I were a Thunder fan, I would be beyond furious that you have minutes of games where none of your, not one of your four best players is on the court, even if it's for 90 seconds. Um, Pretty, pretty. I mean, like, I get that it's not easy to stagger minutes all the time, but uh, that's pretty inexcusable to frequently have all five bench lineups on on the floor. Anyways, that's a side a tangent for Oklahoma City. I just kind of couldn't believe it. And Charlotte uh, shoots just twenty seven t- attempts, just twenty seven shots at the rim, making only fourteen. Um, CS sub fifty two percent shooting at the rim, which is really bad. Uh, it was not, again, you know, you scored 91 points and only 32 in the second half. Like, you're going to put up some pretty uh, some pretty gross shooting slash numbers, and that's exactly what happened. And that's been one of our strengths recently is getting to the rim, Brian. I feel like the last several games we've been doing a very good job of getting inside the paint, but this game favored OKC in that situation. 
OKC scored 44 points in the paint while we just scored 34. And I'm sure it had a lot to do with the fact that Adams was down there uh, and it was hard to get things going inside in the paint. Uh, But yeah, we didn't shoot too well at the rim and didn't score a lot of points in the paint, which really has been a strength for Charlotte recently. Yeah, it was great against Detroit this week. Really, the only guy that had a good game was Marvin Williams. Uh, We sort of, you know, it's good to highlight him. He's had a great season. Uh, three of five on three, six of nine from the field, six, uh, 16 points. And uh, look this up uh, earlier this week. Marvin, 45% on catch and shoot threes this year, which is great. He's also 54 of 107 on what the league defines as wide open threes. So no one within six feet of him when he shoots it. Uh, that translates to 50.5% from beyond the arc. It's third best in the NBA behind only Clay Thompson and Paul George. So, yeah, Marvin Williams uh, on those pick-and-pop threes or, or play on the weak side of Kemba's white pick-and-rolls. I mean, he's been he's been lights out this year. I mean, there's, the shooting was just so bad across the board in this game. <clears throat> I mean, Oklahoma City was, now that I'm really looking at it, almost worse than Charlotte, yeah. to be honest with you. Like, from a, like a pure numbers perspective, when you look at the shot profile, I mean, 42% of Oklahoma City's field goal attempts come from the mid-range, and they shoot barely north of 26% from that area. I mean, that's pathetic. And then on top of that, they don't even get to the 31% mark from behind the arc. I mean, mean, Richie, you said it. The difference was they dominated the rim, 69% from the rim, and those second chance points, 20 to 6, going in the Thunder's way. I mean, that's pretty much the game. But I don't know. This game goes in like top 10 ugliest NBA games of this calendar year, right? awful and it, like classic you know Westbrookian gross performance for him too um 37 minutes 10 of 27 shooting and uh, a usage rate above 55 percent in the fourth quarter I mean it was it was Russ Ball at its finest and he was not you know it was just one of those 10 percent games of his where he just you know he was really off unbelievable all right let's get off this game uh and talk about something a little bit more positive Monday, MLK Day, uh, 12.30 tip, very odd time for viewers and players and pretty much everyone involved. But the Hornets come out on top in Detroit, 118-107. Speaking of uh, a Detroit team that is really starting to um, maybe regress here to the mean, I would say, and they're now uh, right at 500. A team that Charlotte's going to be chasing if they stay in this race for the playoffs here. The Hornets get a big win here on the road. Um, again, 118-107. They're 51% from the floor, uh, 50, uh, excuse me, 47.5% from behind the arc. They only make only take 21 threes, but they make uh, 10 of them. I mean, just really got it going from just about everywhere on the floor. Free throw line is, is really where they left some points, uh, 22 of 33. From there, um, MKG missed went 50%. But, you know, outside of the free throws, Charlotte, it, it was really, really good offensively. Um, Detroit was very aggressive the way they guarded Kemba in the pick and roll. They blitzed him pretty much every single time, regardless of who was setting the screen. Uh, and I thought Dwight Howard did a very nice job of willingly rolling to the basket. Um, he made plays, obviously, catching it off the off the short roll or the deep roll, um, finishing. And then he made some nice passes. Um, out of those plays as well. Dwight Howard finished with a lot of 21 points, 17 rebounds. Um, and he didn't have any assists, but that's that's not – that really is not um, – that doesn't depict what he did in this game in terms of, of switching the ball 
um, at least secondary assists. I would like to look at that number. It feels like he should have had some of those in this game. Pretty flawless, perfect performance, I would say, from Dwight. He dominated Andre Drummond in this game. Drummond finished one of seven for three points, uh, ten rebounds, and he had two turnovers as well. Drummond's probably going to be in the All-Star game. So uh, this was a, an awesome performance from Dwight. Uh, Kimba, this was like a classic Kimba game to me. For some reason, and I think it was my my inclination, it was because Detroit was guarding the pick and roll so aggressively. Charlotte was setting the screens, the ball screens, way higher on the floor in this game to create more space, and Kimba took advantage of that. Uh, 20 points, 9 of 18 from the floor. Uh, He had nine assists in this game, just really setting up everyone um, and you know, 20 points, not, not a world beating performance there, but everything seemed to run through him and he got everyone involved. I mean, all five starters finished in double figures in this game. Uh, and I would be remiss without mentioning Marvin Williams, seven of eight, five of five from behind the, arc. um, five rebounds, one assist, 21 points. So Marvin just continuing to play awesome basketball. He's right in the 50, 40, 40, 90 conversation. Uh, in terms of shooting, which is a very small list uh, in the NBA. And, you know, we've discussed it. I'm sure we'll d- discuss it a little bit more here in a little bit. But there's a guy that, that probably deserves some some trade chatter. He's been awesome this year. Yeah, I thought um, this was a uh, one of the best games Charlotte's played probably all season. They get 40% of their field goal attempts at the rim. Uh, I mean, Kemba, some of, the, some of the shots this dude hit at the rim – uh, were, were just ridiculous. Uh, he was, I, I think, um, you know, I'd have to pull up the numbers but uh, for the season, but he's been, it seems like he's been pretty good at the rim unless he's getting his shot blocked. And he, he, he was sensational, especially if he saw, you know, Drummond wasn't in the paint at the time. Like he was going to, he was just absolutely going to attack. And uh, MKG had a big game at the rim. So did, uh, so did Dwight. Yeah. And uh, the Hornets shoot 82%. Uh, 27 of 33 at the rim. That's the best percentage they've had with inside of four feet in a game at any point this season um, against a, a team like Detroit that at times has been a top 10 defense this year. Starters play well. 27 minutes for the first five. They score over 124 points per 100 possessions. An effective field goal percentage of 69% and a defensive rebounding rate of 93%, which is a uh, really impressive and a test you know kudos to Dwight Howard like he said Spencer he sort of dominated Drummond who's you know supposed to be a younger better version of of Dwight and has had a great year but he was just you know sort of checked out of this game Kemba has nine assists and three secondary assists too I mean he was just incredible out of pick and roll shooting from deep at the rim I mean you know making the pass that led to the assist or or just straight up assisting for a, for a for a three or a bucket or whatever, I, I he was incredible. I mean, he's you you can make a case he's the best pick and roll guard in the world, and it wouldn't you know you'd have plenty of facts to support your case, and you could take plenty of tape from this game. I mean, seriously, go pull up pull up this guy's shot chart from this game and pull up the highlights. Uh, some of the finishes he had at the rim they they were they were like Kyrie Irvin esque ridiculous. Um, and uh, yeah, so hold on, here we go. I pull, I got it here. Inside the restricted area, Kemba Walker, seven of nine in this game. Um, he was he was incredible. So yeah, thoroughly dominating performance. They they keep drumming off the glass. They score at the rim. Marvin hits yeah. a bunch of shots, and Kemba dominates. Like that's the recipe for a Hornets victory. 
Exactly. Yeah, Kimba played amazing. Um, I don't think his shot was falling too well from deep, but uh, he did a good job of getting into the paint, like you said, Brian. And some of the finishes that he had, up and unders, reverses, you know, through a lot of limbs, he, he was able to finish. And for a guy that's under six feet to do that consistently uh, is definitely something that's very impressive. And again, like I said, points in the paint has been something that has been somewhat of a strength for Charlotte recently and not so much in the first half but in the second half uh, they got that thing turned around uh, and they got things going towards the basket and that's the thing with Kimba like if if his shot is not falling he's got to get towards the basket we had 40 uh, points in the paint in the second half 40 points in the paint and uh, 17 of those excuse me 14 of those came from Kimba so you know those came in a variety of fashions off dribble handoffs off pick and rolls and like you said, Spencer, they, they tend to, I feel like this is happening a lot, they either tend to trap him hard on those pick and rolls, or they'll in this game, they'll play someone like their best perimeter defender, like Bradley, on Kemba. That seems to be a trend, I feel like, uh, with a lot of teams just placing their best perimeter defender on Kemba. I think OKC at points used Paul George on Kemba, just someone that's longer, lankier, that tries to get the ball out of Kemba's hands. And for all the good that we've mentioned, one one player that I that I kind of noted that did not do too well this game was Batum. He couldn't take advantage of the mismatch because with Bradley being on Kimba, Ish Smith was on Batum, and his performance just shooting the ball was just a little bit subpar. And especially considering the fact that Ish was guarding him, you would think that he would take advantage of that. And there is this one play that sticks out in my mind uh, from this game, and I kind of mentioned this to you, Brian, on Buzzcast, how... Batum and Dwight with the pick and roll, just I feel like you can almost guarantee nothing will come of it because he's not going to go hard off that screen. So Dwight's basically setting a screen for nothing. You know, Batum probably does better on a dribble handoff. Anyway, this, I can't remember what quarter this happened, maybe third quarter. Howard was setting a screen for Nick. He completely turned it down, but he went to the corner. So he's basically icing the pick and roll on himself. The, the defense didn't even have to do that. So now he's trapped in the corner. And if he passes it back to Howard, which is probably not an ideal situation anyway, because he, that's that's a mid-range area, you know, it's just it's just a bad situation. You need to come off that screen and come to the middle of the court. And, and then he shoots one of these like off-legged shots. So, you know, we had a very good game top to bottom from a lot of players. Like you said, Marvin Williams, who started very hot, like 5 of 5 from three-point land. But Batum, such a frustrating player. And this game was no different. The uh, Yeah, Nick Batum, a guy that, in terms of his mentality, is just like not not like suited or willing or whatever to play matchup basketball. You know what I mean? Like they put issues right. on him and like, I mean, it, it doesn't, it doesn't, I mean, it, he's not, he's just not geared towards, Oh, like, let me go to the block. You know, let me, let me bulldoze this guy and get to the hoop. I mean, this Smith is, is, is tough, man. But, um, you know, it just, he's not a, a guy like Clay Thompson, who's a great shooter and moves perfectly without the ball. Like he's willing to sort of like, okay, they're putting their better perimeter defender on, you know, Curry. I'll take advantage of the smaller guy on me. And, and yeah, I don't know. Nick Batum and Charlotte's it's just, it's not his MO to do it. I think that sort of like these, the lack of a And he had a pretty high usage rate in this game, but just like, it's just not his style to yeah. attack the guy that is the weaker defender, the smaller defender that's on him. It's just not his MO. Yeah, it's, I would I'd push back just a little bit. I agree it's not his M.O., like it's not his go-to. It's not what you know, butters the bread, per se. But, I mean, his basketball IQ suggests he knows when he has that situation. He's just never developed any kind of mid-post 
uh, or short post game or any kind of move other than, you know, the vaunted step back off of one foot. <laughs> yeah. um, I mean, that's all he's got. If he would have just developed something else, yeah. um, you know, it could certainly be a part of his game because the Hornets will go to him when he gets a mismatch. You just know it's not going anywhere yeah. because he does it unless he's able to face up and just shoot over a smaller defender. But, um, you know, I, I thought there were some really positive trends in this game for Batum. Even though, again, he did not have a good shooting game. I mean, you just mentioned it, Brian, briefly. Uh, his um, his usage rate was just – it was 27.2. It was just yeah. shy of yeah. Kimba's in this game. And Dwight's was 17 and a half. So Kimba's is 27-7. Nick Batum, 27-2. Dwight down to 17 and a half. Those are very healthy numbers for Charlotte. And I think a lot of that was derived out of, again, that, that high pick and roll with Dwight and Kimba. You know, if Kimba is not able to pass out to Dwight, you know, rolling to the rim or whatever, when he gets trapped, he switches the floor to Batum. And now whatever ha- happens offensively is basically um, going to be out of the, the decision-making and Nick Batum for the rest of the possession. So that's kind of the way we imagine using him anyways. Um, you know, when the ball switches to the opposite side of the floor, now he's your secondary creator. Game from a shooting perspective, again, you know, I did think that he did an okay job. Uh, in that role that I just mentioned. I mean, he had, let's see, he ends up with 14 points. That's fine. He gets to the line six times. So off of that secondary action, he is able to get to the line, draw some contact, uh, and get some points that way. And he, and he ends with five assists. So, you know, eight rebounds as well. It wasn't. It certainly wasn't Batum's best game. But considering his sample size over the season, I, I didn't think it was a terrible game mm-hmm. from top to bottom for him. And I think it, it fit the role that he was kind of he was going to play here in Charlotte. Um, and on top of that, Charlotte makes 307 passes in this game. Yeah, it's a good um, number for them. It's a great number, and then we'll talk about it here in a minute, but against Washington the other night, they make 306 passes. So, some, or excuse me, I had this mixed up. They made 306 passes in Detroit, 307 against Washington. Uh, way of, That's about 20 above the season average for the yeah. Hornets. If they continue to hit that 300-plus mark, um, that, that's a real positive sign. And kind of to my point earlier about Dwight, he doesn't have an assist, and he actually didn't finish with a secondary assist either, but he makes 41 passes in this game. So that's how you imagine him playing, playing right? Rolling down the uh, lane, catching the ball when Kimba throws it when he gets strapped, and then Dwight's making the decision. I mean, yeah. you're going to use him in that way. You have to trust him to do that. 41 passes for Dwight Howard is pretty impressive. Yeah. Yep. And that's what happened in Washington, too. And we, we can transition to that. But he made the second most passes behind Kemba in, in the Washington game with 45. So, yeah, that's definitely something that you want to see out of Dwight. You know, don't let that ball stick too much. Don't dribble the ball. Don't hold the ball too much. If you have an advantage, go for it. But uh, other than that, you want to get that ball out of your hands. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is what we talked about when the Dwight Howard trade happened in the, you know, in the offseason and, and going into the season and previewing how this offense was going to look. I mean, we talked about pick and roll, pick and roll, roll, be a willing roller to the basket, Dwight, be a willing roller. And we haven't seen it very much this season. It's been more post-ups than, than it should have been, although we also predicted that. <laughs> um, but this is what we hope the offense was going to look like. Um, and if this continues, you know, there is a world in which you could see the Hornets offense continue to grow and mature. Um, and come and, you know, sneak into that top 10 uh, area. I mean, the Hornets are all of a sudden 15th in offensive efficiency, 14th in defense. So, you know, they've seen a real uptick here recently, and the easy part of the schedule is definitely about to hit for them. So if they can keep spreading teams out, keep giving Kimba space, keep putting Dwight in that high pick and roll, you can see things continuing to improve. All right, Washington, 
on what night was this? This was Wednesday night. Yeah, 133-109 victory over the Wizards. Uh, This was awesome to watch because, well, for a few reasons. Number one, just it's awesome to watch the Hornets play this good because we don't see it very often. But number two, there are a few teams in the league that I enjoy (laughs) taking it to the chin, like Washington. Like, those guys just, I don't know what it is. I can't quite put my finger on it. Uh, I think 80% of it is Jason Smith, and he's just a punk. (laughs) You know what? I hate that guy. But, you know, I, I don't know. There's just something about, like, their swagger or what they think their swagger looks like that just makes it fun to watch them get their ass beat. And Charlotte took it to them in this game. Uh, it was never really close. Let's see. Charlotte had seven guys in, in double figures in this one. Frank Kaminsky and Jeremy Lamb combined for 30 off the bench. They were awesome. Um, Kimball with 19 Nick, four of eight from the floor, four assists, 11 points. Continues to, to get, get there a little bit more every single game. Dwight Howard, good again, 18 points, 15 rebounds. Uh, and, and Marvin, I mean, he just continues to make almost every three he looks at. Uh, he's three of four in this game. So now in his last two games, Marvin is shooting. Let's see if I can do a quick math. 10 of 11 from behind the arc. So uh, another awesome game for him. And the MKG, I mean, wow, he, he's probably the player of the game in this one. 21 points, mm-hmm. 8 of 11 from the field. Um, Brad Beal, he gave it to him a little bit on the other end. But I think MKG really locked in in the second half. And, again, I think this is one of those games for MKG where, like, teams play off of him. They give him space. And he's just starting to drive to the basket and finish. Like, he's getting better at finishing around the rim. And when he has space and he catches it on the weak side, he puts it on the floor and gets to the rim. And he finishes. He's you know, he's always been capable of doing this. He's just more willing to do it now. And that's where most of his points come from. He was. Uh, he also led the team on plus 26 with MKG on, on the floor for the Hornets in this one. Just an awesome overall performance. Um, Richie, thoughts? Well, you, you took the words right out of my mouth. We talked about this on the Buzzcast, and I, I kind of led off with this. Like, MKG was the player of the game. And it's nice to see that his offensive game is – Obviously, it's never going to be stretched out to the three-point line, but there's some versatility in his game. There's some variety in how he scores his buckets, whether it's posting up mismatches, which he did a couple of times in this game, whether it was transition offense, whether it was making these cuts, you know, these perfectly timed cuts, and and, and Marvin or Kemba makes the pass to him, and he goes straight up with it. And he even, I talked to Brian about this at Buzzcast, he even made a great pass uh, back out to Marvin for a four-point play when when all the defense collapsed in the middle. He was aware enough and alert enough to make that pass out to the, the corner, and, and Marvin was fouled for the four-point play. Uh, yeah, finishing with 21 points on 73% shooting. Uh, I will take that every day for MKG, even if he can't make a three. If he can't make a three, if he can go 21 points, 73% shooting, uh, that's just amazing. And he also had a team-high three steals. So uh, just kind of quickly, because I know we want to get to the Kimba talk, but that's that's the biggest player in my mind that kind of stuck out. But like you said, seven players in double uh, double digits, so that, that's great as well. But, um, again, points in the paint advantage, 50 to 30. Um, first up, what, real quickly, just great to have Steve Clifford back. Uh, this was his first game on the sideline for the Hornets in you know, about six weeks, and it was really good to have Cliff see Cliff back happy, healthy on the sidelines. Um, he even had to, you know, it was good to see him. I was a little, little little worried for him, but it was good to see him. He had to break up a fight at one point in the game and seeing Steve Clifford, you know, nimble on the feet in his first game back, getting out there and separating players and stuff like that. But I like Coach Cliff a lot. And, um, you know, he, he's been very gracious in interactions that, I, that I've had with him with, with Richie a few months ago. And good dude, good basketball mind, and most importantly, happy to see him 
healthy, back doing what he loves to do. That was that was really neat. Um, I thought one of the biggest things that stuck out. I won't I won't hit on MKG again because you guys did that, but he was terrific two way game. But the bench was terrific. This has got to be one of the, the bench's best games. Um, they had a stretch in the first half, starting about the two minute mark of uh, the two minutes remaining in the first quarter, about half, leading into about halfway into the uh, the second quarter. But all bench fives, so MCW, Lamb, Frank, Trevian Graham, and Johnny O'Brien, and they were all great. Uh, my unofficial tally had them scoring on 10 of 13 possessions in that, in that, in that, uh, in that run. And uh, according to NBA.com, the bench plays for that lineup, that bench lineup plays 14 minutes and scores uh, better than 1.4 points per possession. Uh, assist on better than 56% of their made field goals and has an effective field goal percentage of about 67%. I mean, the bench is not going to play better on offense than that basically all season, uh, you know, period. And uh, so, yeah, excellent performance from them. Low turnover game. And, yeah, you're right. I mean, Jason Smith is annoying as hell. So it was good to see, um, you know, MCW uh, let him know that he wasn't too thrilled about some of those screens he was setting uh, in garbage time. And speaking of garbage time, a site that the three of us like using a lot, cleaningtheglass.com, it it sifts out statistics that happen during garbage times of games to give you a sort of like more precise, more accurate, uh, you know, Photoshop of what, Photoshop of what happened in a game. According to cleanintheglass.com, garbage time in this game started at the nine-minute mark in the fourth quarter. Uh, this was an ass-whooping. And the second most efficient game that Charlotte's had all season offensively, aside from when they played uh, the Kings out in Sacramento. And the Kings really aren't a basketball team. And although the Wizards have been backsliding on defense recently, they are, at least at the start of this game, they were still a top 10 defense. So an impressive showing uh, from everyone on the Hornets roster, I thought, in Steve Clifford's return to the uh, to the sideline. Yeah, by the by the numbers, I think the Sacramento game was the better of the two offensively. But this game, when you just watched it, it just felt better watching it, like you said, because Sacramento's not necessarily <laughs> quote unquote a basketball team. So yeah. but this this one was more fun to watch in my eyes. And we got the defense turned around in the second half as well. And just one more little thing I add on to your your bench play in the second quarter when they did a very good job on offense. I also thought they did a better job on defense than the starters in the first half, and that kind of transitioned over into the second half where the whole team, the energy kind of stepped up because we did set a record for the most points in the first half, but the defense in the first half wasn't that that great either. Yeah, no, you just said it, Richie. I mean, Sacramento's they're not an NBA team, especially defensively, but yeah, Washington, I mean, they're 10th in the NBA defensive efficiency. It doesn't feel like they're that good of a defense they don't try like they should very often but that's what the numbers tell us so for the Hornets to be able to do that in this game makes it pretty special a, a few other things about MKG just wanted to shout out his three steals um all leading to transition baskets if I'm not mistaken that's unofficial but I had that in my notes so I think that is correct oh and you know they actually posted him up against Brad Beal uh, quite a bit in this game um you know he had some closeouts when he gets space ball switches he drives to the basket it finishes, but the Hornets have shown more and more willingness. We've discussed this to post MKG up against smaller defenders. Beal's not one of those matchups I would be like, oh, oh yeah, yeah, we should definitely post MKG, MKG up here. But I want to say the Hornets did that on like two or three times in this game. Mm-hmm. He definitely finished a few of them. Um, he's more comfortable in that. I mean, he's a strong player, so he can post up a smaller player, and he doesn't like 
He doesn't try to turn, get a pump fake, like reverse pivot, all this stuff. Like he, he backs in, backs in. No help ever comes when it's MKG. He gets to his right hand. He just finishes a little hook shot. Like it's very simple, but it works. And defenses still don't respect it. So that's fine. Let's go to it. Um, that was impressive to me. I just like the way MKG battled with Beal in this game. Because Beal had some like classic Bradley Beal, one of the best shooting guards in the NBA moments in this one. But I would say, like, if you watch four quarters, MKG actually did outplay Beal. Um, the numbers might not say that, like the box score, but I, I think that you would find that to be true. Um, I thought the Wizards in the second quarter, the first time we saw the second unit, uh, why are you guys blitzing Michael Carter-Williams at a yeah. roll in the basket? <laughs> like, it's that kind of stuff that I, I'm like, how are you the 10th best defense? Like, what are you, what are you doing? Yeah, that that was that's like I I see a lot of I see a lot of college coaches do that like Brad Brunell at Clemson or Danny Manning at Wake Forest like they love having their backup centers blitz guys twenty six feet from the hoop and it's like that dude's just gonna pick up a foul and he's not guarding Steph Curry like I think you can allow you know I think you can allow yeah. the point guard to not you know he doesn't it's okay if he sees a, an uncontested look from 25 feet from the rim like he, he's not going to shoot it and if he is he's going to miss it 85% of the time like it's okay you're literally guarding the antithesis of Seth Curry yeah you're probably you were shooting the entire NBA like, just don't <coughs> like just sag as low as possible he's not even going to shoot um, i feel like he's been taking more three pointers recently carter williams yeah, yeah. he has I mean, I, he, <laughs> He's been so wide open, Richie. I think on some on some occasions recently, like it's it, he almost like holds the ball for a second and a half. He's like, Do yes, <laughs> so you know. But I mean, teams are like it's gotten to the point where it's almost worse than MKG um, because MKG is you know he's he's found some kind of mid range efficiency here. Like Mike Carter Williams literally does not want to shoot anywhere. Like he doesn't even want to take a layup. Like once he gets down there, he wants to kick it out. So. Teams are just literally not guarding him anymore. And when he's standing around the three-point line, they just look at him when he catches it. So he kind of has to let it go. Oh, Travion Graham. I just wanted to, like, give him a quick shout-out. He had a sequence on Brad Beal in this game. He's guarding Beal when Beal stays out there with the second unit. And he, it, actually, I think John Wall was out there, too. So I don't – maybe Kimba was still on the floor for Charlotte. But it was a Brad Beal, John Wall, little pick-and-roll set on the side. So Travion helps on that, guarding Brad Beal. And then Beal will get like a flare screen coming the other way from Jason Smith or whoever it was. So Travion shows to stop Wall's dribble penetration on the sideline, stops him, Kimba gets back in front of Wall. Then he busts his ass to get all the way around the flare screen, locking and trailing Beal. Wall switches to Beal. Beal catches it. Graham's right in his hip pocket. Beal puts it on the floor. Graham's right there. Boom, two dribbles. Then he gives him a little left arm shiver. Offensive foul, Beal going the other way. Like, that's the most beautiful wing defensive sequence I've seen probably all season from this team. And I'm probably missing something. I'm not trying to say Travion Graham's a better defender than Michael K. Gilchrist, but you're talking about John Wall and Bradley Beal, probably the best duo in the Eastern Conference in the backcourt, arguably in the NBA. Um, Well, not better than Stephen Clay, but you get where I'm going with this. It was an unbelievable defensive sequence, and Travion Graham is my boy. I just love the way that guy played. Yeah, he's great. So, he's one of those players. If you look at the, the box score, you're never going to get the full picture, you know. So don't don't ever judge this guy's play by looking at his eight points or whatever it may be. You know, it's, he's a scrappy player, plays hard on on defense, and makes the right plays on offense. Go ahead, Brian. 
just when he and Kemba play together, the Hornets are great. Like the they're just they're really good when they play those two guys together, whether uh, whether TG's at the three or the four. Uh, if it's Kemba and Graham out there, it makes you wonder, like, you know, is, if the roster does stay intact the rest of the season, Cody Zeller comes back. You could see some some interesting lineups with Zeller, Kemba, and, and Graham, Marvin, and, you know, Lamb or Batum or whomever the two that, that might be pretty pretty successful. So yep. uh, something to keep an eye on. All right, guys. Well, let's, uh, let's all bite hard here and try to have this conversation. <laughs> the report from Woj yesterday, um, and if it comes from Woj, you know, there must be some faction of truth in it. Um, he's reporting that you know the Hornets are indeed involving Kimball Walker in trade discussions. I don't know. I don't know. Um, I mean, I've seen it. You know, this is the first time I've you know really been in this kind of situation. But you know, what can I do? You know, I'm I'm, I'm still here, and you know, I'm I've been here for the last seven years, and you know, I'm going to do what I got to do to help my team win games. Um, that's all I can do. You know, I have no control over those kind of things. So, yeah, I try to keep my, my, my mind off of it. I don't even know really where I'm going here. It's – well, let, let's start with this. Let's start with this, Richie. And let's just pass the baton around real quick and then dive into the conversation. On a 1 to 10 scale right now, gun to your head, what do you think the likelihood is? And I'll start um, with Kimball Walker being traded before the deadline. I would say it's in a three, Richie. Yeah, I think the likelihood of it happening is probably not that high. I I, I think that's probably a, a good guess. Three. Yeah, uh, I'm somewhere in like the three and a half, four range. So you know, 30, 40, 35, 40 percent chance. The fact that it got to Woj though, um, you know, the three of us can sit around and we can you know all day you know kick the can on what the books look like and and you know when deals are coming up and and we can say and seeing how the teams not performing well and their odds not being great. Making, like we can, we can look at that all day until, you know, our eyes bleed looking at computer screens. That's one thing. It's another thing. If the news item gets to Woj and if that's the, if that like that, you know, these, these bells and whistles just start kind of going off in your head a little bit of, Hey man, maybe this is more serious than, um, than maybe we thought a few weeks ago or something like that. You know, like it's, it's a little more legitimate that a, a tight lipped Charlotte front office, uh, these things are are getting out um, to someone like to someone like Woj at, at ESPN. So yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. I just don't think I would still say it's 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 more likely that he will be on the Hornets roster beyond February eighth, though. So, <clears throat> real quick, this report indicated is that the Hornets have involved Kimba, um, opened him up to put him in trade discussions. Um, but really what it says is that the Hornets would like to use Kimba as, for the lack of better terms, a get-out-of-jail-free card from these bad contracts. So White Howard, uh, Marvin Williams, um, Nick Batum, those are your three headliner, I think, bad contracts on this team. You know, Michael K. Gilchrist's name was, was mentioned in the article. I, I tend to believe that contract's not as actually bad as maybe some people try to make it out to be. I even saw Cody Zeller's is a bad contract in terms of the fact he can't stay on the floor. Yes, it's bad, but in terms of, you know, return of investment when he is out there, I would say it's not a bad contract. Anyways, basically the report says the Hornets would like to use Kemba to get off one of these bad deals um, as a phase one of the rebuild. Uh, that's, that's all good and well. I understand the concept. I think it's something we've discussed before. 
Um, you're not really just going to trade Kemba if that's what you're going to do. Um, some of these other veteran contracts have to go out the door as well because obviously once you trade Kemba, you're, you're admitting, you're waving the white flag and admitting we're starting over. Um, so, you know, Brian, I, I hear what you're saying about it getting to Woj. I thought that David Griffin did a really nice job with Chris Kroger in his interview yesterday, ex-Cavaliers uh, GM. David Griffin went on um, with with Chris Kroger uh, in Charlotte Radio yesterday and basically said, look, this stuff is <clears throat> it's fluid in the way that involved in trade discussions could very easily be another GM calling Rich Cho and saying, okay, I understand that you, you think Marvin has this kind of value and, and we might be interested, but what about Kimba? Right? So it does not mean let's, let's just like all think about it that way. It doesn't mean the Hornets are picking up the phone and calling teams and saying, Hey, what do you think about Kimba? Yeah. It, it could clearly be involved around these other players, Kate Gilchrist, Marvin Williams, um, you know, name your other bad contract for the Hornets that they're trying to move and these other teams saying, okay, we can talk Turkey, but what about Kimba? And yes, at this point, of course, Charlotte isn't going to say, oh, no, they're not going to hang up the phone, right? Like their backs are against the wall. They're cap hell. They have been for a while and they have to talk Kimba. So like in a lot of ways, should we not have already known this? You know what I mean? Yeah, no, it, uh, it is one of those things too. And I, I think we've been talking about this for close to six six weeks, maybe a little longer than that now, of like, you know, should the Hornets be doing their due diligence and like looking around for potential trade suitors for, um, you know, for Kemba or whatever. And I heard something offhandly the other week, offhandly the other week. Um, it was uh, Ron Francis, who's the general manager for the Carolina Hurricanes. I heard him on local radio here in Raleigh. And someone at this press conference was asking him about, you know, are you searching out trades? Are you doing this, doing that, whatever? And he was like, look, a big part of my job is I'm just on the phone every day. Like, I'm just, I'm just, I just, you just general managers in the league. Now, this is the NHL, not the NBA. But like, they're on the phone. They're talking to everybody every day. They're saying, you know, what's the deal with this guy? What's the deal with that? So like, it, I guess that even sort of adds more to like the, it shouldn't surprise that Kemba comes up in these conversations when, the 30 GMs of the NBA are on the phone saying, you know, as the trade deadline comes up in two, two and a half weeks or whatever, that, yeah, it shouldn't be much of a surprise that Kemba's name would be the thing that comes up because it's far and away the best trade piece that the Hornets have, too. And if these conversations are fluid, like David Griffin said with Kroger, then, yeah, it should be no surprise that Kemba should be, would be mentioned in basically every single conversation. Yeah. How li- how likely do you guys think it's it, I mean, and how excited would you guys be if you were able to trade Kimba plus a Batum? Because in my eyes, if you do attach Batum to Kimba, you are now making the return a little bit worse on on, you know, on the the comeback. So, do you guys think it's even likely to pair Kimba with one of these bad contracts and get something back? And even if we did, I'm not even sure the return that we got back would be all that great. In my eyes, if, if we were to trade Kimba, I would almost trade Kimba by himself or maybe like a filler, maybe add like a bacon in there or something like that, not attach him to a bad contract and see what we can get back for him. Because I, I, I understand getting rid of Batum's bad contract. I understand getting you know rid of maybe Marvin's bad contract. But I don't know if we do that and attach that to Kimba if we are going to get that return that even makes sense 
uh, in the long run. So I think that can also detract from what we get back. What are your thoughts on that? Do you think that's even viable option? Well, I mean, my question, I mean, here's like the way I do this exercise with Kimba Batum, you know, pairing thing is that like Batum is, well, let's, let's look at next season, right? So let's almost say that this trade were to happen in the off season because it makes it easier just from a cap perspective. Batum's owed $24 million next season, okay? So let me just ask you this. Does anyone think that a team above the cap is going to trade for Nick Batum? Because that would imply that a team above the cap doing that is just they're, – they're really saying, we think we can turn this guy around. Like, he's going to be a part of our rotation, right? They're not just accepting bad money so they can get another asset some way. So if, if we're saying that, that that's the case and that only a team with cap space would actually swallow Nick Batum, then that means this summer – Atlanta could potentially do that. Let's see. Chicago, Indiana, the Lakers, and Philadelphia. Those are the only teams in the league with room to take on Nick Batum's $24 million under their cap, you know, and actually have cap space. And that's just projected. So we don't actually know that even that many teams could have that much space. So what that's saying is that one of those teams that I just mentioned would have to be the third team in any trade involving Kimba and Batum to take Batum's contract. Then Kimba goes to that Cleveland, L.A. Clippers, Utah. I mean, name your whoever's interested in Kimba team. But then the question becomes, who's sending that third team that's swallowing Nick Batum an asset? Right. Like, And what's that asset look like? Because if that asset is the, the Clippers pick or the Rockets pick or – the Knicks, you know, one of these teams that's not going to have that good of a first-round pick, then why is it worth it for that third team? Right. I just don't see how this happens. Right. Like, there, there's literally not a scenario in the league because the cap – I mean, this market is just – it's too tight. There's nowhere to put it. Yeah, this – which I sort of does – it the because the cap has flattened out after the boom in 2016 and only really a marginal jump in, in, in 2017 that fell below the initial projections – um, you know, Richie was posing this question a second ago of, you know, how excited, you know, what would your level of excitement be if you got, were able to get rid of Batum's contract? It, again, hypothetically speaking, you were able to do this, which is unlikely if the return you get is not so great. Like the, the, the available cap space is, an, is like, that's become an asset again now. Like for the first time in a couple of years, like available cap space is probably an asset. And if you can sort of create that debit with Batum of, it, I mean, he's owed $77 million after this season. Like, the next three seasons, Nick Batum is going to make $77 million, including a player option for that last year, which which then goes back to what Spencer is saying is, like, why I don't think this is really feasible. Like, he's it's just, it's just too much money. Like, I think this is something that's going to sit on the books in Charlotte for a while now. I could be wrong, but um, well, man, it, it yeah. seems likely, you know? Well, yeah, and it makes it easier. I mean, you know, when the cap jump, when the cap spike comes again here in a few seasons, I mean, now now it's a little easier. But to your point, and not, I wasn't trying to skip around your question, Richie. I just kind of, I just want people to understand how unlikely it actually is that this yeah. is going to happen. Um, I mean, I would be excited, but to Brian's point, like because cap space is such a commodity now, and because it's so valuable for teams like the Hornets that are trying to get off a shitty contract. Um, that means it's really going to cost you because it's it's so rare right now and it's so sparse. So Charlotte has nothing else to give in terms of assets. So who else is going to help them give that asset, right? So 
any trade involving Kimba and Batum is going to be such a heist at this very moment, uh, especially in the middle of this season, that it's not going to be worth it for Charlotte. I mean, that I believe that 100%. I'm not coming off that one. But I do think that, like, in the offseason, it could potentially make more sense, right? Like, we're t- when teams know exactly where their cap space is, how much room they could have, they know exactly what their draft pick is and looks like. When things become a little bit more defined, I think that this could, could become a little bit easier and less expensive for Charlotte. But right now, I, Nick Batum, to me, there's literally like a 0.5% chance he gets traded at the deadline, if you're asking me. I would love to get off his money, obviously, but I just don't see it happening. Yeah, I think if we did get off of it, we'd be getting something back that's almost just as bad. I mean, I don't see, unless, again, like you said, we throw in something or a third team throws in something, uh, getting rid of Batum is going gonna, is gonna to be very difficult. And you mentioned this several episodes ago, Spencer, how you said, like, you're going to need, if you're going to, if you're going for the rebuild, does cap space really matter in the short term right now? Like, who, who are we using that cap space for? But... I think you mentioned this several episodes ago. Like maybe maybe Batum is just that player that takes up some of that cap space because yeah. you need you need players like that. If you're going for the rebuild, you're going to have a lot of young players, and then maybe Batum takes up a big chunk of that, which is you know not ideal. That's not the player that you want, but you know maybe you can just wait it out. The only thing you could do with that available space is you become a dumping ground for someone else. Like you, and then you use you use that space to get you know get another first round pick or something at a time when there are fewer teams like. Teams like Brooklyn and Philadelphia the last couple of years that have been this, like they're not that anymore, you know, or at least certainly not to the extent that they have been the last two or three years. So, um, you know, there, there is that aspect of it, but that's like, that's a tough, that's, that's a tough sell to a, maybe a fan base that would not be stoked about seeing, uh, you know, the franchise's best player go out the door for you to be a, a play, you to, you know, get off this platoon contract so you can take on another bad contract that will, net you a first round pick or whatever yeah i think that the hornets should should very seriously consider you know just start to thinking about batum being on their books um for the foreseeable future for sure which I, you know i'm sure they're doing um let's look real quick I, I just want to get off the kimba trade thing for just a quick second and just look at like what the hornets can do in terms of potentially keeping him moving forward there's two Different scenarios here. Most people probably heard it. Some maybe not. His max extension that the Hornets could sign him to, which he's which he's eligible eligible for this off season, would be sixty four million and change, about sixty four and a half million. Um, there's a fifteen percent signing bonus he could get with that. It gives the Hornets a little bit more leverage, but not a lot. Um, so basically, that would start at about fourteen point four million, and then he gets eight percent annual raises um, for the next three seasons from there so it's a five, so it's a four-year extension basically because the extension would actually have to have to count this season uh current season as well um so now if he's traded to a team with cap space they renegotiate that deal which does bring in a little bit more flexibility i suppose for the hornets like if you're talking phoenix or something like that um but anyways not off the trade thing and then the other option for Charlotte is just waiting this thing out until the end of next season. And then they have Kemba's bird rights. They can, they can sign him to the five-year max deal, which is somewhere around $150 million. Um, that's the most likely scenario for Charlotte, keeping Kemba around long-term. There's just no world in where he's taking this, 
this $64.5 million extension. No, he, he shouldn't, too. He's played at a pretty unbelievable discount the last couple of years. Um, so, yeah, I mean, every year of this of this extension, this four-year extension he's been on, he's been all-star level good or at, or legitimately, you know, he's been in the all-star game. And um, so, yeah, no, I think, like, there's – he there, he should be done taking discounts at this point. Like, when he – you know, when, you know, when unrestricted free agency rolls around in 2019, he should – he deserves cashing in no matter where that is. Like, he's earned every penny. It, it does beg the question, you know, if you're – I thought about it in a few different ways. This all getting out – and this goes back to BG's point earlier about this getting to Woj – is that is somebody gaining leverage here by you know this getting to Woj? And I've asked that question a lot to myself, and I just can't I can't put my finger on really that one side is or one side's not because you know what you hear from Kimba is that you know I want to be in Charlotte, or at least that's the narrative that people want you to read. <laughs> I don't know that I I totally believe that, um, but if that, let's just pretend that's true. And then Kimba, you know, we get to the end of next season and we're talking a five-year extension with Kimba. You know, now would be the time to, to yeah, think about getting off like Marvin Williams or something. Uh, Marvin Williams would be the most reasonable contract to get off of. That gives you a little bit more space in that summer to get Kimba to that max extension. But I think that's the decision. That's, that's maybe the bigger decision for the Hornets right now. you got to get Kimba in a room and like – or somehow get a feel for like, is he serious about being in Charlotte long-term – because then that that opens up the gates. All right, let's get off Marvin. Let's get off MKG. Let's let's even get off Cody Zeller. Like now, getting off those long, you know, three four year deals makes more sense because you are going to need that space to sign him to that max extension a few summers from now. But if it, if we're serious about like trading him, then what that tells me is that you guys think he's gone anyways. Like what could it yeah, possibly right. say? If this report's true then it has to be that you're not confident you can bring him back long-term. If you were confident, then why wouldn't you just do that and try to get off one of these other contracts right now? So Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that's where the conversation stemmed from. When we did this six weeks ago, it, it was we were basing it on the fact that he was probably going to explore his options because if he didn't want to be here, then it does make total sense to trade him. Like, I, I don't understand why people say that doesn't make any sense. Like, if, if he's going to explore his options and coming back to Charlotte isn't realistic, and with the way that we've been playing uh, this season, and who knows how it's going to go next season, um, I could see him exploring his options. And like you said, Spencer, if we can actually get a definitive answer, I know it's it's out there in the media that he wants to stay in Charlotte, which could very well be true. Um, and, and he's always a fan favorite in Charlotte. We love him. Uh, he's our, our favorite player for the most part. I don't know if anyone has a different favorite player in the Hornets, but I think most people gravitate towards Kimba. But if he wants to stay, then the conversation shifts. But that's, I guess that's, like you said, it's if they're putting it out there that he's on the market, maybe they've gotten other thoughts from him. I'm not sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, my, and then BG, I want to get your thought on this. My conspiracy theory here is that <laughs> this, yeah, I know, you love conspiracy theories, Reggie. Um, my, my conspiracy theory is that <laughs> this report is really bad for the Hornets' long-term chance of keeping Kimba and I don't know who's feeding Woj's information I don't know where it's starting from coming from but if all this is true about Kimba being devastated if he got traded right and he wants to be in Charlotte then why in the world would the Hornets let this get out yeah 
I mean, this just sends bad stuff to Jeff Schwartz and Kimba's agent and Kimba. So somebody's, it's like somebody's trying to drive a nail in between the Hornets and Kimba here in some form or fashion and start to grease the wheels on Kimba leaving um, sooner than later. And it's like a gun to Rich Cho's head. Michael Jordan's head's like, all right, I'm putting this out there, but here's your get-out-of-jail-free card. Use him now to get off bad contracts and start over or watch him walk for nothing a season and a half from now. I'll, I'll say this. It's interesting because Kimba is a fan favorite, and, and I think from a marketing pers- perspective, the franchise has tried to do a, a, a has tried a lot of creative things to make Kimba seem bigger than he is in terms of garnering him votes for the All Star Game and you know bobbleheads and this and that, whatever. But like for a guy that's probably a top 25, 30 player in the world somewhere, you know, Kimba probably lands along that spectrum somewhere. I mean, maybe a little bit. Maybe you think he's a little lower, a little higher. But like I would bet median vote he's somewhere around 30 you know 30 whatever um the franchise has done so little in terms of putting like a competent like he's been underpaid and they have not done a great job putting talent around him like if you're Kemba Walker and for the first time in your career you're seeing a a significant payday in in really the first time in your life where your career where you have the option to pick you know where do you want to go um, I mean, he hasn't had that since basically he was committing to Connecticut over, you know, whomever else was recruiting him. And so this this coming out, you know, leading into the trade deadline is really not it's it's not all that surprising. And sort of Spencer to your, you know, conspiracy theory or whatever, like makes me think that it's if it, it, maybe the, the leak isn't coming from Charlotte's front office. You know what I mean? Like maybe this is something that's more on the side of Jeff Schwartz and, and Kemba Walker and stuff like that. Um, because like they meet, they meet the, they meet the best player the Hornets have put around Kemba Walker in his now seven seasons with the Charlotte Hornets. Like name, like who's the best, is it Nick Batum? Is it Al Jefferson? Like, like who is it? You know, um, they haven't drafted well since they drafted Kemba. They've traded away multiple draft picks or multiple first round picks. And if you're a guy like Kemba that basically runs through a brick wall every night for half of what you should, half of what your market value should be. Like, I would be a little fed up, too. And even though you can say all the right things, and, I mean, that dude clearly loves his teammates, loves his coach, loves playing for Charlotte and stuff like that. But you can love all that stuff and be totally frustrated, too. And, and if I were him, and, and I don't blame him at all, and I think if I were him, I would be incredibly frustrated. And I would want to explore my options, even if it's through back channels like this. Um, because you can be loyal to a place. You can love a place. You can run for a brick wall for a place. But you also got to be smart. Like, this is this guy's job. And in 18 months, he's got to likely he has a huge payday coming on the horizon. And, you know, it's he's got leverage for the first time in a long time. Um, and so it really shouldn't be that much of a surprise that this is coming out because the team is underperforming right now this season. And he's clearly the best asset they have. And so, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if if this is something that he and his team, you know, are having to evaluate and look at and maybe even a narrative they're pushing. I have no clue if that's the case, obviously, yeah, but yeah. would not surprise. Well, and, and the flip side, exactly what you were just saying, Brian, is this, is the team looks long and hard at their cap sheet and they say, okay, we know Kimball wants to stay. We've, we've got that confirmation, but here's the reality. We signed Kimball to that five-year max. That goes through the 22-23 season. Um, so what that means is that assuming we can't get off Batum's money, 
that that those are our guys right there. It's yeah. Nick Tatum and Kimmel Walker until almost the mid, <laughs> you know, until 2021 is, is Batum's last year. So that means that Kimmel only has two seasons in that max extension without Batum, at which point he'll be 32 and 33 years old. So what you're effectively saying is like, that's our team. And guess what? I don't blame the Hornets front office one bit if they make the hard decision that that's not the reality we want to live in. And that's exactly what we've talked about since the very beginning of this. You can you can scream and kick your feet all you want about if we trade Kimba Walker, it's the stupidest thing this franchise has ever done. Okay, that's fine. But just understand, you bring it back on that five-year max, you're not getting off Batum's contract. So that, that's your team right there. Yeah. Yeah. That's what you'd rather have than a rebuild? Fine. That, you know, but you, you should think about that again because that's basically what you're signing up for. The, I'll say this to the people that said, like, hey, if they trade Kemba, I'm done. Look, I get the level of frustration. And, you know, if they decide to burn it down, rebuild, have a fire sale, yeah, it'll be painful to bite that bullet for two years, two, three years. But guess what? If the team does it right, if they hit on some draft picks and start getting good again, everybody will come running back. Like, you know, it, every like it, people as fans were all front running jerks. So, like, if the team. Start, you know, look, look what's happening in Philadelphia this year, you know, like great numbers for their home games. And, you know, it obviously it, it sucked for a few a few years. But like if done right, you can you can you can use the rebuild like the the, the 76ers have literally made trust the process like a marketing ploy now, like a marketing vehicle. You know what I mean? And they have two future Hall of Fame players on the roster, like assuming Embiid and, and Simmons stay healthy. So it's like, again, it, it took a little bit of luck and, uh, you know, they certainly went down a, a unique path in terms of burning things down in Philadelphia. But look, people that say they'd be done, like, I promise you, you guys, you know, you, you go watch the Rockets or Warriors for the next few years, but everybody will come back if the team's good because people want to see a, a team that wins games and stuff like that. So I, I don't totally buy all the people that would be done with it. I fully admit that trading Kemba would be painful. I mean, thinking about this yesterday could you guys imagine could you imagine because the deadline's been moved up this year if Kemba Walker is playing in the all-star game and like a Pacers uniform you know what I mean like like after after he spends the whole season playing for the Hornets and you know the Hornets literally use marketing dollars to promote him for the all-star game and then he goes to the All-Star game a week after he's been traded to, like, the Knicks or the Pacers. Like, how it would just be... Be brutal. It would be tough to... It would be tough to... It would be tough to stomach, man, especially with the 29th... Something we've talked about before, the 2019 All-Star game coming to Charlotte, the you know, the year after, which you'd probably like to have Kemba be there and be the ambassador to the city and be in the three-point contest and playing the game and all that sort of stuff, too. Um, you know, I don't think marketing should have the biggest seat at the table, but I'm sure this is something that franchise has got to take into consideration with these two. Again, I don't think it should factor into the decision all that much, but I think it's something they have to consider. Um, uh, and again, it just sort of adds to this not being a fun conversation. But if you're looking at this from a black and white, you know, you know, looking at the books, looking at the team's outlook the next couple of years, like what should they do? Like, I think a lot of people strictly from a, team building standpoint would say you got to trade Kemba and either get off one of these deals or get get assets in return like get a pick get a young player get both whatever whatever the market is yeah I just the ceiling isn't high enough 
if you get Kemba back on that five-year max and, and you're looking at Nick Batum, Malik Monk, Cody Zeller, that's, I mean, I, you can't bring anything else in free agency. You're going to be over the cap pretty much every year. And I mean, two seasons, three seasons from now, you'll have $60 million tied up in, in two players, Nick Batum and Kemba Walker. I mean, it's just like, you can't get better, you know, and, and maybe the best this team is. I mean, we've had really a sample size of three seasons. Batum was good the first one. They almost won 50 games, but like, that's looking like it was an outlier. Yeah. You know, that, that's looking like that's more because Jeremy Lin and Courtney Lee and less because of Nick Batum. Yeah. I mean, with Nick Batum, this, this team looks like a 41-win team at best. Mm-hmm. So if you want to live on the fringes for the next seven seasons, all right, let's do it. But I'll, I would think hard about that. I'll also say this, too, in terms of why Kemba, I think, would be such a valuable trade ship leading into the deadline this year, assuming this is the route Charlotte goes, which we – we all, the three of us said a couple minutes ago, we don't think it's going to happen. But let's just say it goes that route. Um, I mean, Kemba would be the best player available at the deadline. I think regardless of position. But if you really wanted to break it down to position, there's no, the point guards that are, that you consider to be better than him or as good as him, they're not going anywhere. Like Chris Paul, Harden, Curry, Westbrook, Wall, Kyrie, Lillard. Like that's the list. Like that's it. Like that's the entire list. And those guys aren't going anywhere, man. Um, as 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 currently constituted, like Kemba, if the Hornets want to have leverage, like he's the best. Maybe he might be the best player, regardless of a position that could be available at the deadline. But certainly the best guard or perimeter player. And the fact that he can shoot and play off the ball too, it's yeah, just yeah. easy to fit him in anywhere, including a place like Philadelphia, where Simmons and Embiid want to hold the ball a lot. But that's fine. I mean, Kemba spot up around Embiid, uh, Embiid post ups and pick and rolls with with Simmons and you know and Saric or whatever and it, it just you he is such a valuable piece because a his salary is low if it's just Kemp and the deal and you're not attaching Batum or Dwight or whatever it's easy to match salaries with him 12 million dollars that's nothing you get him for two seasons before you then also have his bird rights leading into unrestricted free agency and this guy's a great player he's still just 27 years old prime of his career like it, you can see why he would be such uh, teams that teams that are looking for a point guard, looking for shooting, looking for perimeter offense. Like there's nothing better available than Kemba Walker. Yeah. Um, and look for a team like Hornet, the Hornets that are basically otherwise completely devoid of future assets. Like this is the best thing they got. I don't, I don't want to really see them trade Kemba. It would, it would be a huge blow to see him go out the door. He's a joy to watch, but. It might, you know, it, you lose some of that, some of the Kemba leverage if you don't move him at the deadline this year and he effectively becomes an expiring contract going into 2019. Yeah, I mean, it's not cliche to say, I don't think, that this is the business part. Like, this is how the NBA is actually run. Like, the basketball part is my favorite part, obviously. Right. But, like, this, this, is, this is the nature of the business. I mean, that's not a cliche statement. Um, look, it's time to pay the piper, Rich Joe. You signed a bunch of shitty contracts, and you got a little bit unlucky when the cap spiked in 2016, and that certainly has something to do with it. All right, that should always be mentioned. But the cows have come home, you know, to, to eat. I mean, that's I'm sorry, but like, you're in debt. You're in serious debt, and somehow you got to get out of it. And he might be the only way. Yeah. And I would just really beg fans to to try to understand that this is not a spite against Kimba. It's not a spite against the fans. Not, it's not this unlucky 
the spirit that lives in the history of Charlotte basketball. This is just the way things fall sometimes. And these are the tough decisions that you got to make in running a basketball team. And just like the tough decisions you got to make in life that sometimes suck. Yeah. And the, the team will come back and it will rebound. And just because we haven't drafted well and attracted great free agents that have been very successful in the past does not mean it's a reason not to do it again, not yeah. to try again. I agree. Like, I think it's, I think there's, I think you guys probably agree. Like, there's probably low trust between the fan base and the front office in terms of how they've drafted. But using that to shape future decisions, that's bad logic. And you can't, yeah. like, you can't, you can't use these sunk costs to, to shape how you should, you can't use a, a past mistake to lead you down a, another mistake. Like, that's, that's, that's insane. You can't do that. Right. So, um, yeah, no, it's, it's, it, it may be time to, you know, I, again, I don't, I don't want to see him part ways with Kemba, but this is, it's the, uh, it, it's a great asset they have. And, you know, if they do trade them, it, it, it makes a lot of sense. I will say this though, somewhat, somewhat half jest in jest. If they do decide to hold on to Kemba Walker and they don't trade him, please don't wait until you're mathematically eliminated from the playoffs to sit this guy. Like if, if they've got a 20% chance of making the playoffs the first week of March, send this guy on a plane to the Caribbean or something. Like, don't let him come and play and win games for the Hornets. Like, if you're going to hang on to this guy, then <laughs> you've got to sneak tank. I'm serious, man. Like, you got to sneak tank the last, the last you know, couple weeks of the season. You've got to try to get a top five pick. Like, if you're going to not trade Kemba... Then you, then you gotta, dude. You gotta go get. You gotta go get a top. I would five. personally drive Steve Clifford and Kemba Walker to the airport myself, <laughs> and them wherever they want to go, and an all inclusive. You know, but like, I think you, I think it takes, it takes getting Clifford out of the equation just as much as it does Kemba, because uh, Clifford's not gonna quit. You know, that guy's gonna keep. Yeah, no, you're right. No, we need to like, we need to uh, like crowdfund. A, like a joint trip to like St. Tropez or whatever for Clifford and Kemba, just to make sure like they're not in the gym, making sure the Hornets win 40% of their games. You know what I mean? Like if you're going to go this, if you're going to go the route of keeping Kemba, then the only way to get another good young asset is to bottom out and try to go get Marvin Bagley, you know, yeah. or, or Wendell Carter or Deandre Ayton or any of these. Other, I mean, like the top of this draft looks pretty good. You might want to get into that top five. No. Yeah, and I think this would be the draft to get two picks. So if you're going to trade Kimba, not only don't you want to wait until next year when, when he's expiring, you want to do it this year where you would get our pick and then maybe another pick from another team in, in which this, yeah. this draft is, is top-heavy. Like you said, you know, I'm not a draft aficionado like you guys, but I've heard all the rumblings that this is a pretty strong draft and could be as strong as last year, uh, maybe even stronger. But, uh, yeah, this would be the year. And, and like you said, Brian, we cannot use bad – you know, drafting history to kind of drive our, our decisions going forward. And I've said this, this is, those are separate issues. Those still need to be addressed. We still need to get better in the scouting department and, you know, the, the drafting process and things like that. But uh, because we have a bad draft history, we can't just rule out the fact of the rebuild with the younger players. I just don't think that makes a whole lot of sense because right now we're stuck at the six to 10 seed with this team this year yeah. and next year, I feel like. Yeah. All right, good stuff. Richie, uh, do we have a few Twitter questions we want to get to before we go? Yeah, let's go quickly through these. Uh, I know we're kind of pressed against the time here. Um, first Twitter question uh, is just a suggestion uh, for a trade, and it comes from at Captain Heat Check, or C-A-P-T Heat Check. Uh, Kimba and Batum, again, we kind of talked about this, how it's going to be very difficult to do this. Kimba and Batum for Fultz, 
Sarich, uh, Amir Johnson, and Booker. Both of those last two are expirings. Uh, he says that this would drop us in the bottom five, and uh, we would also dump a bad contract going their way. What do you guys think of this trade? First off, the, the trade's fine, but the realistic, I, I just don't think it's going to happen. Getting Fultz and Sarich and then dumping Batum in the situation, I just don't see that being the case. I mean, getting off that four-year, four $22 million, $23 million, whatever it is, uh, it's going to be very difficult to do. Why would why would the Sixers tie up their future cap space with Nick Batum? I mean, there's no way. Like Kimba's a great player, the best one right. at this trade deadline, like BG said. But I mean, he's not worth that much. I mean, the Sixers they would never do that. No, I agree. Especially because look, uh, Embiid's about to come a lot more expensive starting next season when his extension kicks in. And uh, you know, I could be wrong, but I don't think they're gonna, they're too psyched to part ways with Dario Saric. That dude is freaking good and is like already reliable. 13, 6, 35% shooting threes, and he's like 22 years old. So, and he plays two positions. Like, I, I just don't think, I think he's a part of the long term plan in Philadelphia. Yeah. And I would also say that, uh, you know, that implies that doing that trade, if you're Philadelphia, implies that you're not going to bring, try to bring back JJ Reddick and you're going to take on Nick Batum instead. And there's yeah. snowball's chance in hell that's the case. Right. And also, too, like the Hornets, like, Knows what like what people think about Markel Fultz right now too. With that guy's the issues he's going through with his jump shot. Um, it's uh, that's a whole other can of worms that maybe is far lesser down the list of things that make this deal not great for either side. I don't think, but I, I do think that's something that maybe maybe gets factored in as well. Yeah, that that jump shot is hard to watch. Sometimes I feel like the the video is like stuttering or buffering, but no, uh, he's he, he's holding it there. <laughs> Um, another suggestion from Rich Kingston seventy three on Twitter. Um, this is a popular one or a popular team, I should say, is the Cavaliers. And I don't know if he threw the the Brooklyn pick in here. Probably not. Shumpert, Fry, Isaiah Thomas, uh, Jetty Osman, Derek Rose for Walker and Batum. Again, another another trade in which we could get off of Batum, um, and we'd be picking up a lot of players that are on like one year deals. And then Jetty Osman is a, is a younger player, but he's like a, a three-year, $2 million player uh, per. So, again, another trade, which I think is going to be very difficult to do, and I don't I don't know. I mean, maybe a little bit more realistic than the uh, the Philadelphia one, but I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean, number one, I mean, the Cavaliers just wouldn't have enough players rostered, period. I mean, they could figure out that problem. But number two, like, you got to – if you're going to – like. Play with the trade machine as much as you guys want, but you got to think about if you're going to include Batum, you have to include a third team. Like he's, I just don't see a team like Cleveland or any contender just swallowing his contract. Like it's got to go to cap space to me. Yeah. Uh, the only way it makes any sense, like massive cap space. Like we're talking two teams: Dallas, Indiana. That's probably it. Those are the only two teams that are going to have enough cap space this summer to really accept a terrible contract and still have some breathing room. So yeah, to think a third team with Batum. It, it is interesting, too, because that Batum deal, I tweeted this yesterday, and we've mentioned it before on the podcast, but, like, it could be more. He took about a $25, $30 million discount. When, I mean, that, that deal could have, you know, another $7, $8 million annually. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah. Summer of 2016 was absurd. Like, it, the further you get away from it, the more it's just like, Jesus Christ. Like, it just everyone <laughs> went a little insane the first the first week of July in 2016. Um, so Brian, just real quickly, I don't know if you were listening to the uh, Bill Simmons Zach Lowe podcast the other day. They were talking about the first contract sign at, like at midnight uh, or 12.01 or whatever in 2016, Mozgov. So we should have a drink called the Mozgov, 
and every every year at 1201 free agency to memorialize that moment in his contract just have a mozgov whatever that drink looks like i i literally had to like park the car i was like so that is funny. It's got to be like vodka and like a pill or something like that. <laughs> yeah, that, should, that should be the that yeah. should be the Mozgov contract or the Mozgov drink. Um, I think Osman is an interesting young player. He's not is not bad. They have currently have him signed to part of the the mini mid level. But like, yeah, I mean, obviously the Batum cap relief is big. But I mean, like Spencer said, I don't think there's any way uh, Cleveland signing. I mean, could you imagine if they do this deal hypothetically? LeBron leaves, and then they're stuck yeah. with Batum's. Like, uh, oops, we didn't play our hand correctly here. Um, so no, I, they I become just, the Hornets, right? Yeah, they become they, the Hornets. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's exactly. Um, now they would have they would have the Brooklyn pick, I guess, uh, theoretically. But but boy, that no, nah, this is. Uh, that that Batum grenade is is not going anywhere uh, anytime soon. All right, and then the last Twitter question uh, cannot pronounce this guy's name. It's at R E C C E I C E. When do you start the fire Cho and Cliff protest? The fact that you're letting Cho handle this makes Jordan an idiot. Uh, I, I think he's referring to like handling. The rebuild, I'm sure, I'm not really sure exactly what he's talking about in terms of handling this. But what are you guys' thoughts on this? Do you think that there should be more protest, as he says, for firing Cho or Clifford? I, 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 I kind of lean towards no, but it is a difficult situation. And we talked about this before. If you're going to rebuild, you're putting Cho in a difficult situation because... I mean, you can fire him and then go someone else, and you almost have to bring someone else in to kind of do this rebuild and someone that is willing to do it. But if you also let Cho do the rebuild, it's almost like, I don't know. It, it, I, don't, I guess I don't know really what I'm saying here. You, you guys you guys finish this off. I'm not really, really exactly sure how to address this. Yeah. I mean, again, you said it, Rich. We have talked about this before. If Jordan actually gave the green light to, like, put Kimba in trade discussions, which, you know, we don't – the hypothetical green light, whatever that looks like. But it is a little perplexing that like, this is coming out where rich Cho on a contract year for his job. Um, you know, this is coming out then and, and it's suggesting that he has the power to, to actually trade Kimball Walker. Um, I always thought that if that was the case, that it indicated that the team was moving forward with him as the general manager, they were going to kind of let him make the decision. You know, I, again, we don't know who's pulling the strings on sending this information you know, two woes, so it's hard to put your finger Buzz on. Peterson. Yeah. Buzz Peterson. Buzz <laughs> yeah. Peterson. I mean, seriously, maybe maybe Jordan is doing this. I mean, yeah. you know, this is this is your last chance, Joe. I'm gonna not make you trade Kimba, but I'm sending woes this story. So now everybody thinks you're trying to trade Kimba. So you better get this right, or else you're done. So, by the way, like those two guys, Buzz and MJ, being sitting alongside the bench of the home games last week, the Utah game, the OKC game. Just amazing to watch their reactions with every Mr. Make with the Hornets. Like, I, I, I don't think they were too stoked about Frank Kaminsky on, on either of those nights, you guys. Or, or really with some of Dwight's plays against the Jazz on Friday. It was uh, sort of amazing to watch happen in real time. It's like MJ's just looking in disgust at everybody on the court, but Kemba or Marvin, basically. It's uh, pretty amazing to watch, actually. It's, it's so entertaining when they're on the bench. You're right. But so, so my thing on my thing on Joe and Cliff is, look, I mean, I don't want to tell anybody, I don't want to tell any man or woman or whatever that like they deserve to have, you know, 
if they've been if they've not done anything that's like beyond the pale and they're, they're doing an adequate, I, I'm not really comfortable telling anybody they should be fired. You know what I mean? Like that's that's really not my mo. Um, if some people want to do it, I get it. Especially if you're passionate about the team, I'm not going to tell you to that you, that you don't that your your passion is misplaced. I'm not doing any of that either. But I think I don't mind either of those guys coming back. I would I would appreciate a little more flexibility from Clifford in terms of lineup structure, but other than that, like I love Steve Clifford and Rich Cho. You know, I mean, it's he's had a tough a tough run, but if you if you could get some commit from MJ that hey man, like I'm gonna back off, I'm gonna let him, I'm gonna let him hand, which I don't I mean maybe that's not a possibility, but I wouldn't mind Rich Cho with a little autonomy staying as the GM of of the team. Um, but that's mostly just because like I'm not real comfortable saying this person or that person deserves to be fired when I don't think they're doing anything like egregiously wrong within the context of the business or outside the context of the business. Yeah. Well, it's also hard to, to see who's responsible for all this because exactly. MJ could be just as responsible as Cho. So like you said, maybe he needs to take a hands-off approach. No doubt. But I doubt that happens. Yeah, right, right, right. It is a little scary, though, to think of the scenario that, like, if Rich Show does get fired, like, do the Hornets just promote from within? And does Buzz Peterson become the team's general manager? You know what I mean? Like, like that, like a guy that's not suited to do the job, you know? Like, like that's it, that right there is the worst case scenario for Yeah. Sure. Like, so, what I'm saying to the fired show crowd, like, be, you might want to be careful what you wish for. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, I don't, I don't think. They would. That's something that they would do. Maybe only in in the interim or whatever. But be be careful what you wish for. You know what I mean? Like you, you might end up with something that's that's not as good as what you have now. Basically, but they yeah. could market his name though. They could market his first name. That that would be a good marketing little. That's uh, true. Buzz. Yeah. <laughs> yeah they could, they could do that. Yeah. I, um, I I am not a proponent of of firing Rich Show. I, I never really have been. I've always enjoyed him as a GM. I think he's very creative in the way he thinks about things. The way he extracts value out of you know, out of pieces that a lot of GMs just wouldn't have the mental capacity to, to think that way. Has he done some knucklehead stuff? I mean, no doubt about it. You know, I mean, these, these contracts handed out in 2016, obviously, you know, trading for Mospel Emily's contract. I mean, but therein lies trying to find the balance of what kind of pressure he's getting to win now, which I, 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 I really believe he's gotten some pressure that has forced him to make some unfortunate deals miles Plumley probably the biggest one um but you know you got to look at some of the positive things he's done via trade uh i mean jeremy you know we'll signing jeremy lynn that was free agency trading for courtney lee uh you know not able to bring him back signing out jeffrey i mean the early years in charlotte were awesome i mean the rebuilding process from from the first thing he did really when he walked in trading gerald wallace and stephen jackson um, to building that team back up to a to playoff team, you know, in just a few years and hiring Steve Clifford. I mean, I think he did a nice job in the last rebuild process. And look, it plateaued in a small market. But whoa, I'm, I'm so surprised that happened. You know, like right. it, it, that's what happens to 99% of teams. So, you know, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't rush to, to say that Rich Joe needs to lose his job. I don't know what's going to happen, but I tend to agree with you, Brian. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't want to stare at the whatever the alternative looks like. Yeah. And just two other quick thoughts. Like if the Hornets don't get, don't have some, some bunk luck and they win the 2012 lottery and they get Anthony Davis, like maybe the Hornets have been contending in the Eastern conference. You know, they, maybe they've been Eastern conference finals two of the last three years 
and we think Rich Show is a genius. You know what I mean? Because because they got Kemba and Anthony Davis, and it's really easy to go out and get a third star player. You know, like the this team is not far and away from us from the paradigm being totally different. And depending on whose account you read of draft night in 2015, like. Rich Show and MJ may have had conflicting opinions on what the direction of the franchise should have been that night. You know what I mean? Yep, and yep. this motive that we're on now, like, of uh, because the, you know, they, they, if you believe the report that they were offered four picks for the number nine, number nine slot that they, you know, MJ wanted to take Kaminsky with, like, this team is having to face a potential rebuild now that's way more challenging than it would have been two and a half years ago in the summer of 2015. If not facing the pressure to win now and draft Frank Kaminsky, as opposed to going out, you know, maybe taking again. Who knows if like I think some people don't believe um, the the reports on that Boston draft night trade proposal. I tend to fall in the category that I I, I tend to believe the reports I've read on it, yeah. consistent with some of the sources, you know. But um, but yeah, like I think that's from what else from what I read. I thought Rich Show wanted to wanted to go that Boston route, and he was in a confusing and crowded war room that night was pushed in the direction of not um, shaking hands on that deal with Danny Ainge. Yeah, and last thing, and then we got to go. Um, and to that point, Brian, I, that right there, that situation, turning away those Boston picks for Frank Kaminsky and drafting him instead, is the only, is the only decision made by the Hornets that they actually had real control over what their future looked like. Like, Losing out on Anthony Davis and dra- drafting Michael K. Gilchrist, it, it is what it is, right? Like, that's unlucky. Like, the rest of the decisions, pretty pretty unlucky. I mean, there's some on the fringes. Like, choosing not to bring back Courtney Lee, I think that actually had more negative residual effect than people realize. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that decision right there is the one that Rich Cho will likely go down on the sword for. Um, and I don't think he deserves to. Yeah, I agree. So... It is what it is. All right. Well, that was a good show. Um, good stuff, guys. We went longer, as usual, than we said we would. But I figured that would happen in this episode. A lot of <laughs> when there's talk about Kim getting traded, you can guarantee there's going to be plenty of chatter. All right. Well, go enjoy your Saturdays. And look, like something we haven't mentioned. I promise this is the last thing. But there's still there was still some time in between now and the trade deadline, and the Hornets have a lot of home games. Like yeah. Detroit is like spiraling out of control right now. Like. Hornets can be really close to that AT within like a game or two, maybe right at it by the trade deadline. So like that stuff matters too. I mean, they could not pick up the phone for a week if they're right there yeah. with seven days to go before the deadline. So anyways, think about it that way too. For myself, that's Richie. That's Brian. Thanks for listening. This is Buzzbeat Radio. Do not forget we are a proud member of the Almighty Baller Radio Network. And don't forget to check out our good friends over at Sports Channel 8 com and follow them at Sports Channel 8 on Twitter. Thanks, guys. See you next time. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. 
the trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.